Hi, I'm Pastor Stewart. I'm glad you're listening to this series on the healthy family. It's based on the book Family to Family by Dr. Jerry Peitsch and Victor Lee. It is my hope that in this series, you will learn how your family can be God-honoring and passing that faith on to generations to come. For more information, you can contact us at cbcstanton.org. Thank y'all for being here. You can uh, open your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 6 and 2 Timothy chapter 1. Um, Within your bulletin during these times of family, uh, talking about the family, uh, are these little sheets. And I hope you take time to look at those. Um, Today, the only part of this that's in the sermon uh, is that last one or the top right. Um, On the left are some hints and, and tips on sharing Christ with your children. And uh, at the bottom of the page on the right are some keys uh, to uh, help you in trying to worship together as a family. And then on the back are scripture verses that uh, are related to this that maybe or maybe not I covered. And uh, you, can, you can be looking at those. So just make use of those. Take sermon notes, whatever, on them. Uh, I, do, uh, I did like that announcement about 200 tacos. And I was only joking a little bit about uh, eating all 200 of them. Uh, my family, uh, runs in my family, we do not have an off button. You know, if you eat enough, you supposedly feel full. And uh, I had an uncle, I think my mom, my middle child and me, we don't have that. Uh, we get up for Thanksgiving and go, oh, I couldn't eat another bite. You want some pumpkin pie? Yeah, sure, let's do that. Um, so uh, the, my mom used to tell me a story about uh, they were tra- taking a train to Indiana, or traveling by car, I should say, uh, when they were little, they went by train, uh, to visit her dad would go visit his mom, and then the, all the brothers and sisters used to go up. But they stopped at one you know, roadside restaurant back in the day, and they came around to my Uncle Tom. I know, don't say anything. Uncle Tom. And, and they said, what would you like? And he said, I want a double order of pancakes. Uh, you know, uh, I think it was three, three eggs, grits, whatever, and, uh, and, a, and a quart of milk. And the waitress went, okay. And then she turned around and said, were you kidding about that quart of milk? And my Uncle Joe said, lady, when it comes to his stomach, he don't kid. All right. So uh, I, I kind of inherited that. I could just eat and eat and eat and eat. So I got to just go, wait a minute. You don't need to eat anymore. You got enough in you. So uh, I hope you don't have that problem. We have been talking about the family. So I just told a family story. Um, but uh, yeah, and if you don't stop eating, uh, well, anyway. Um, but but it, it is very important for us to understand. And there's something I just want to say in general. Sometimes I'm up here talking and there, there's a couple of things that I don't want to use the word fear because that's a strong word, but a couple of things I'm afraid of. So I'm going to use it anyway. Uh, one is that you will think that I think that my family is perfect because I'm, I'm here to tell you we get it. We're not. Uh, we, we, are, we, we, we strive to be a good example, but, but there's plenty of, uh, of holes in, in us as well. So if you feel condemned or, or like, um, or that like I'm bragging, don't, don't have either of those feelings because I'm not. I'm grateful to God for the blessings he has given me. Uh, I'm not ungrateful for those, but I don't want you to think that I think uh, more of us than, than I should. Uh, other, and secondly, some of you, it may be to the point because there's struggles in your family. And, and I don't want you to feel condemned by me or by anybody else because the point of this is to help us understand what we're all striving for, okay? And in reality, this is what the church ought to look like. Um, in, in fact, I just, this morning in prayer, 
uh, with, with, some, uh, with Doug and Bobby and Janice and I upstairs at 8 o'clock, and anybody's invited. Um, just in, in the midst of that, at 60 years old, 40 years of ministry, I went, oh, yeah. Uh, about, uh, you know, there, there are just some folks that won't let a church be the church. You know, they, they just got to. Uh, they're sort of like that guy, and I think it was at 3 John, that John said, uh, as for diatrophies, he's always deposed us. You know, he, he, he don't want to let us in. I'll deal with him when I get there. And, and basically, that guy was trying to destroy the church. And I heard a preacher say, if, if he couldn't run it, he was going to ruin it. You've been in a church with a person like that? They want to run everything, and if they can't run it, they'll ruin it. They'll just blow people out. They'll hurt people. Listen, you ever had a family member do that within your family? Like they just want to tear up the family? Uh, that, that can happen, and, and of course that's bad. That's why in the new members class, we teach that any attitude that causes disunity in the church is sin. Did you know that? We're to be united. We're to be one together. And so I want you to take these principles to heart personally. I also want you to uh, think of them in terms of the church so you know how to uh, behave in church, I guess. I have extreme dry mouth now, so apologize for drinking so often. And today we're calling this passing the baton because God doesn't have grandchildren. Do you know that? <laughs> My kids are not God's grandchildren. They were adopted by him and he is their children. It is quite a blessing to get to baptize your, your own child. And that's why we offer that to parents when their children are being baptized. Um, you, you, you can do that if you like. Um, we'll be up there with you to help you, but it's a great thing. And, and I can still see it, baptizing each one of my children. And as they went under the water saying, I baptize you, my brother or my sister, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Those children are my brothers and sisters in Christ. You understand that? Now, we got roles in the world, in the flesh, but those are my brothers and sisters in Christ, and that's how we have to think of each other, and I need to pass that baton to them. I want to say more about that but, uh, later on, but God, God doesn't have grandchildren, and there is no formula that I can give you that guarantees your kids are going to get saved. You know why? Because that's up to God. No man can convince another man, whether he's your child or not, to be saved or a woman but I do know this, that every person, and here's the principle from which I work, every person comes to an age in their life where they and they alone will answer to God for the choices they've made. There are a lot of people existing in our country today, in our society, and around the world that want to blame everybody else but themselves for the mess they're in. They always want to pass off blame. Listen, man up, woman up, if you want to say that, you know. Put on your big boy panties, uh, big girl panties, big boy pants. I don't know where that came from. And if you're confused about that, we'll talk after church. But I'm glad y'all at least caught that that was wrong. Uh, I didn't mean to say that. I was thinking about the ladies, and I wanted to do the men first, and then I mixed them. But anyway, cowboy up. That's what I'm trying to say. Or cowgirl up, whichever it might be. Because, listen, we got to take personal responsibility. And sometimes as parents, we... Of course, because I'm a parent, I understand this. We, we, we feel we have a great desire for our kids, and, and, and we want them to succeed. And by success, we mean we want them to be better at everything than we were and, and better people than we were. Uh, because we realize our own faults, the older we get especially, and we, we have that desire. But there's no magic formula for that. But what you can do, and this is the overall suggestion, is you can do what you're supposed to do 
hopefully to influence and encourage them so that when God deals with them personally, they have an example that they can go, yes. And I do believe that, that once God begins a work in our children or in anyone, because this is Bible, he will complete it till his day, until the day they stand before God. So, so don't give up, don't lose hope, I guess is the basic thing. Today, though, we're talking about, so how do we pass that baton? So I want to help you out with that a little bit. And you think about a relay race. I, I mean, when I was in sports, they timed my 40 with a calendar. I was slow, okay? And, and that's, just a, that's just a fact. So, but have you ever watched a relay race? They have, there's a technique to handing off that baton. I mean, I don't just run up and hand it to them. The other guy take off. They start running. They're holding one hand back. That guy. And if you miss the passing of the baton, doesn't matter how fast you can run. You can finish that race without baton and, and beat everybody on the track, but you will lose because you don't have that baton in your hand. And so you don't want to come to the end of your life and be successful in the world's eyes and have lost your children. You know, people climb the ladder of success, and sometimes when they get to the top, they find out it was leaning against the wrong wall. You want to make sure you catch the ladder against the right wall as you live out life. And so, uh, what I want you to take, take home with you is a relay race not won by a team that runs the fastest, but by the one who successfully passes the baton. Like I said, there's no magic formula I wish there were. Uh, I, I, I teach this a lot. If you're sitting here and you don't know anything about Christ and the gospel... The way that we, we use the term saved, that means I was lost, I, I couldn't, I was out there wandering around the world, and Christ came and found me, and I was saved out of that, out of that despair, and I've been given a hope. That's what those words that we use, that's kind of what they, they mean. And so often we tell people, well, if you pray this prayer, then you get saved. And then that kind of just makes it where, oh, you just say this prayer and automatically you get to go to heaven. And that's not the case. The case is it's got to be a heart thing between you and God where you realize you're a sinner. That, that is not a question, why would a loving God let anybody go to hell? But the real question is, why would a just God let anybody go to heaven? The default is hell. The default is not heaven. Heaven's the special thing. And anybody that gets there, gets there because of what God did, not because of what we did. You follow me? And, and so... It's an individual thing. It's, it happens to people, and they need to see that example that, that, uh, from us that we are following God. At my father's funeral, I, I spoke. Uh, another pastor did the funeral, but I also spoke. And I had cousins sitting there, and they, they didn't have the benefit of having my dad as a dad. And, uh, and, I, and just this, I was looking at this one cousin in particular who grew up the same church I did. We grew up next door to each other. He's 10 years older than I am. That's hard to believe, Jay's 70. Great day. But anyway, um, we grew up, you know, similar, the same church, everything. And yet, Jay did not follow the Lord as, as closely as, as maybe. And, and he was particularly in my mind. And I just said, I just said that my dad made sure all his kids would be in heaven with him. Now, I'll tell you how he did that later, because, again, it's not a magic formula. But it was an influence in my life and my sister's life that, that helped do that. And, and, and so I want to encourage you dads to live it out before them. So let's look together and read these verses. We haven't kind of done that this, the way we've been doing this. So let me, let me start. Y'all can stand up. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning in verse 4. Hear, O Israel. Now, by the way, you say, oh, that was to the Jewish people. That's not to us. 
Romans 2, the last few verses say they're not Jews who are those outwardly circumcisions of the flesh, but they are Jews who are Jews inwardly circumcisions of the heart. And, and that we are, we, I am now in the sense of being a person of God, a people of God that I've been adopted into the family. I can, uh, I can adopt that, that title uh, of being within spiritual Israel. And uh, so verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, if you notice the all capital letters there, Lord, in your Bible, that means that's the very name of God. And then the word God is a title. So Yahweh is our God, and Yahweh is one. Now, why does it say Yahweh is one after it says Yahweh is our God? That really kind of doesn't make sense in English. But that word God is the plural in Hebrew. And in Hebrew, plural is not two or more, it's three or more. They have single, double, and plural. And so the ending on that word, El is the word of God. This is Elohim, I am, which means at least three. So they're saying Jehovah is at least three. Jehovah is one. The three are one. That's where we get the Trinity, right there. And then he says, you shall love that Yahweh, your God, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Now, if you love something that much, it ought to change how you live, right? And these words that I commanded you today, should command you this day, shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk about them of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. For you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now, I want you to notice two things going on. One is they're being written, but secondly, they're on your heart. In other words, if you knew the whole Bible and they took your Bible and burned it, you'd still have the Bible. Why? Because it's in here. That's what he's saying, that make it part of who you are so it's kind of what you say. Um, and then in 2 Timothy chapter 1, I just want you to hear this. I'm not going to make too much of a point of it. I want you to see it. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul says in verse 5, he's writing to Timothy, who's a young man that he mentored and, and helped get into the ministry. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Did you catch that? Grandma, mom, so, ladies, don't despair if your husband's not with you, all right? But also that it was passed down. Let's pray. Father God, you are our father, and we are your children. Lord, we, are, we get that we're incomplete, that we are but dust, but you remind us that you know that because you made us. And then you call us back to yourself. And, and we come to you because we've been wandering around in a wilderness of sin and lostness but you came and rescued us you came and found us you came and saved us lord we plead and beg not only for each other but for our children lord we ask you to redeem them may they know you lord we ask that they would be wholeheartedly devoted to you they'd love you with all their heart and soul and their strength and lord how can we ask that if we don't love you like that and then lord we ask that you would call them out to be uh unbelievably sold out Christians no matter what job they do in the world 
But we also call them out for special work, missionaries and pastors and, and, and helpers in that. And so, Lord, I just ask right now in Jesus' name that you would encourage us, that you'd open our eyes to behold wonderful things out of your word. And God, today, as we look at some of the principles that you've given us, that, Lord, they would help us to look more like Jesus. And it's in his name we ask it. Amen. Well, thank you. And y'all can sit down if you want to. So the first thing is our faith's got to be real, okay? That was on the board before I uh, prayed. But faith must be real. First of all, and, and I've kind of gone through this point already looking at Deuteronomy. First, you've got to believe in the triune God. <laughs> you've got to believe that, that God exists as Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the three in one. And there's this plan that God had that before the Bible says in Revelation 13, 8, that our names were written in the Lamb's Book of Life before the foundation of the world, that Jesus had already died in the mind of God before he ever created us. That God created us and then that he redeems us, it, it is something that ought to just blow our mind. And so we just come to a place where, and, and I always, that's the question a lot, a lot of times people ask me. Can you turn down the spots in my eyes just a little bit? Thanks. Um, that's one of the questions I get asked a lot. Can you explain the Trinity? And any honest person all have the same answer. No, I can't. That is impossible. It is something we believe that we cannot explain. It's inexplainable. We got a lot of fancy words to describe it, but it basically means that God is God and we're not, okay? That he exists in three persons, one God, one is not greater than the other. They're all equal in power, majesty, authority, and essence, yet they're three persons. We can't get that, but that's what the Bible teaches, so we hold on to that. You say, well, you just got that out of that verse. Well, you remember when Jesus was baptized, you see the Son, the Bible says, Spirit descended on him like a dove, and a voice from heaven, God the Father said, This is my Son, in whom I'm well pleased. They're all there together. So next time Jehovah's Witness knocks on your door and says, Jehovah's the only God, and Jesus can't be God, show them Revelation 4 and 5, where the angels and the departed saints are all worshiping Jesus as God in heaven, and God doesn't do anything about that. The Father, he just lets it happen. Right? Yet when Herod gave a speech and everybody were just trying to flatter him, going, oh, that's the voice of a God. God knocked him, and he accepted that praise. God knocked him down and had him eaten by parasites. So I don't think God's going to let somebody in heaven get glory as God unless he is God. Okay, good. All right, you're with me. All right, I, I'm not here to teach the doctrine of Trinity, but I want you to understand that. And so we've got to love that God. Verse 4 says this is our God. Verse 5 says you've got to love him with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. You, you, you know those people that they are just dedicated to this one particular thing. That is their very life. Now, some, some, if you're a Christian and you've got that, you're dedicated to that, but through that you bring glory to God. You see, for the Christian, there's not a secular and a sacred. Everything is sacred. There's no burning bush. Every bush is a burning bush. There's not a spot that's holy ground. All ground is holy ground. This isn't a temple. This, is just, this isn't even a church. This is just a building. This is where the church meets. God's building is made out of people. Y'all don't sound too convinced of that. Let me just tell you, we got a lightning strike and the lights are still wonky. You know, and, and, and we've been working on computers and, and phone systems and, and the, the, the camera system. I mean, it's crazy. That just got fixed like Wednesday or Thursday. And that's when we saw the, we said, let's go see if we can find the lightning. And we watched it till we found it. And Andy did all that. I, I appreciate that, Brother Andy. And I, I'm glad you threw in Back to the Future. That was fun. Um, 
I, don't, don't be going, why is he saying that? You know you saw it too, don't, don't be. Um, and and we, we, we see all that, but we could, we could set torch to this building and the church would not cease to exist. We don't need this. I, it was a, a, a vivid picture of it to me. In, in 89, after Hugo went through Charleston and people came home to find, people on Folly Beach at least, I've read that one. Um, they came home to find uh, dolphins swimming in their living room. Um, you know, there, it was, their house was full of water. Literally, there was a porpoise inside their house. Um, that, that's crazy, right? Well, after that, there was a church that was on the end of Sullivan's Island, just before you cross the inlet onto Isle of Palms. And that church was totally eradicated by that, by that hurricane. The next Sunday, they all were standing on that ground having church. But why? Because the church is not a building. It's people, right? And we are a family. And, and so he says, here, Israel, this is your God, and you should love that God with everything you've got. Because God's got to be a part of who we are. Look at verse 6. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. If it's not on your heart, how can you teach them to your children? Now, later on, he says, write them down. And that's part of the process of putting them on our heart. If you don't read the Bible, the Bible can't be part of you, right? If you, you know, you, uh, today, let me just put it in more modern terms. You get hooked into a TV show or, or you see people that, that can't separate eventually. People that are a little, you know, off balance there. But, but they identify with a character in a movie or TV and then they start emulating them and trying to be like them as if it's a real person. You know, you forget that. And so what you put in does affect how you think and how you do things. And so the primary source of who we are should be God and his word. Right? Because without the written word of God, we cannot know the living word of God. Jesus said that. He said, search the scriptures and then you find eternal life. And these are they that speak about me. He, uh, he tells the story, not the parable, of the dead rich man in hell and Lazarus, the poor man in Abraham's bosom. And the rich man says to Abraham, send, send Lazarus back to my brothers to tell them about this horrible place. And he goes... They got the Bible. They, it says Moses and the prophets, but that's a Jewish way of saying the Old Testament. Moses is the first five books. The prophets is all the rest. He said, they've got Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, 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 no. They're not going to believe them, but if someone came back from the dead, they'd believe that. And hear these words of Abraham. If they won't believe the word, they won't believe even if someone rises from the dead. Now, Jesus told that story knowing he was going to rise from the dead. See, it's a matter of faith. Now, by the way, if you're out there and you don't know the Lord and you believe that a lot of things that Christians don't believe, like evolution and different things, that we're crazy and unscientific, there's never been one error found in the Bible. And, well, I won't get into the details, but... We have more evidence that this is true than anything else. We have more evidence the Bible is true. And as believers who love God, we ought to want to get to know God, right? And when we get to know God, then we want to know more about him. And so we get back into his word. And so he says that word's got to become a part of who we are there in verse 6. It's got to be in your heart. Now, 
Hebrews, the Hebrew people didn't even use the word heart. That is a, that's just a, a wink to us because we think of the heart as the seat of emotions. They use the kidneys. So if you want to go with kidneys, that's fine with me. But, but uh, it, it's, it's a little bit differently, or bowels even. Uh, and the King James still says the bowels of mercy. It just means that out of our innermost, that the, the Bible ought to be part of who we are. And then the next thing it says, now you've got to teach it to your children. Look there in verse 7. You shall teach them diligently to your children. So our faith has to be real. You and I have to be sold out. And just in my own experience, my mother and father were sold out to Jesus Christ. My dad, uh, many of you have heard this, but in case you haven't. In 1949, my dad's riding a Harley-Davidson motorcycle from Charleston, South Carolina, Spartanburg, South Carolina. Empty out his savings accounts. Um, and back in the day, this was 1949, he had 2000 in cash and 2000 stocks and bonds in his leather jacket. And he's riding back with a friend of his who also had a Harley. And they're coming through um, this place in South Carolina. This before Interstate, for all you children that don't realize the Interstate has not been there since 1700s. It only happened in like the 50s or 60s. And so he's coming back on one of those secondary roads. And I always tell people a hog ran into him and they think another motorcycle hit him. No, a literal hog came out of the woods and hit the side of his bike. And my, my dad told me they went back and found that farmer by the way at this time and this is 49 he's not wearing a safety helmet there's no dot he he went off the bike wearing a leather cap and a, a harley davidson hat and hit the pavement and was unconscious for 30 days semi-conscious for 30 more and then that was in january my mom married him in july but when my dad woke up he said the only reason i'm alive is god spared my life now my dad was religious but at that point he loved the lord his god with all his heart soul mind and strength and from that day forward that's what he lived for now he's a shipfitter in the navy yard fixed ships sixth grade education but he was an example to me listen our teaching must be real not only our faith but our teaching's got to be real if you're trying to teach your you know that that used to be a famous saying don't do what i do do what i tell you well, that's hypocritical, and there's no inspiration in that. Go out there and do what I told you to do. Why? You don't do it. <laughs> Sorry. You're just a guy that I know that got saved, got in the church. He was super involved. And there was this lady, and she kind of, she, she acknowledges God, but doesn't live for God. And for whatever reason, she fell for this guy, and she really was after him. And uh, she, she told him one time, I mean, she's pitching her own, you know, desires at him all the time and she said oh i would follow you anywhere he said you don't even follow me to church you ain't going nowhere with me <laughs> girls don't settle for somebody's not sold out to the lord men don't sell out for a lady that's not sold out to the lord <laughs> i didn't get married till i was 28 confession time somewhere in those years my mom looked at me and said son why don't you date more because i didn't date a lot and by not a lot, I mean not at all. <laughs> and I said, because God knows my zip code. And when, when he wants me to get married, he'll bring her to me. I don't have to go look for her. And he did. And I'm grateful. But our, so when we teach, it's got to be real. I was talking about my dad. He got sold out. My mom was sold out. And we got to teach them on purpose 
It doesn't matter where your kids go to school or where they go to church. It's your responsibility, and you've got to teach them. You've got to oversee their education, their development. Now, guess what? Everything I'm talking about is discipline. We always say the word discipline, everybody thinks spanking the kid. Not a bad idea, but you got to do it biblically, okay? You don't just wail on a child. But, but this is true discipline. This is you are disciplined that you're in the word and you've got a relationship with God. Now you want to teach your kids to have a relationship with God and what they need to be doing. And you form discipline in their lives by showing them discipline in your life and helping them with theirs. You know, we, we make them... Someone said, I can't make my kids go to church. I said, well, do, do you make them eat their vegetables? Do you make them go to school? Do you make them put on a coat in cold weather? What do you mean you can't make them go to church? Of course you can. That's why God made you older, bigger, and stronger. It's not an option. You just go, right? This isn't a debate. I told you, we, I had one debate with all three of my children. And that was who was daddy. After that debate, we didn't have any more. Now, I say that kind of facetiously tongue-in-cheek just to make a point, but you understand what I'm saying. So... I'm going to go back through those verses again. Sitting in the house. You need time spent as a family. When you're sitting in the house. Now how often do we sit in the house anymore? Right? It's, it's almost like a hotel sick sometimes. You just get in there, fall in the bed or you know whatever. But, but when you're sitting in the house, you need time spent together as a family. I'm going to tell you my story as I do this just as an illustration. But at, when I was growing up, that was breakfast time. Because... The kids had to get up for school, my dad had to get up for work, and it all kind of coincided. And so at the breakfast table, we would read this little Southern Baptist devotional, they still produce it, called Open Windows. It's different every month. And then there's a Bible verse, a little application thing, and then something to pray about. And we would fight over who got to read the scriptures, kids, who got to read the story, and then one of us would pray. Now that's very simple, and it sounds very silly, but it was very profound in my life. Okay? And so we spent together time as a family. At supper time, we might not do anything formal, but my mom, I'm more like my mom and my personality and stuff, and my dad is, is, is more the guy that's got, he's got to get stuff done, and so do it. So we'd be sitting there, and supper would be over, and we'd all be sitting back because we don't have that off button, and we're kind of full. My sister would sometimes get up and go play the piano, and that was always cool just to hear that. But, but we would be talking, and my dad would start picking up dishes, and my mom go, Come on, Randy, we, we can get that in a minute. We're talking now, sit down. And we sat there and talked. And we would talk about ourselves and what was going on in our lives and all that. Invaluable, invaluable time for me and my sister. And so we spent time together at breakfast and at supper. And I know schedules are different today. Everybody's working. My mom wasn't working outside the home when she did. It was usually, at, it was at a school and she kept the same hours we did. She took us to school and came home with us from school. But... But he says, sitting in your home. In other words, don't waste that time. So, uh, another thing, he says, when you're walking by the way. These are the last verses uh, of what we read, 8 and 9. He said, while you're walking by the way. When you're traveling down the road. Oh, they can play on their iPods or iPads or you got a little screen in the, on the back thing. But when you're traveling, do you spend time talking we played games back then you didn't have all those conveniences my mom might have used them i don't know but we didn't have all those games so we'd play silly road games like when you could spot a sign with start at a and the first person could get to z you know and you couldn't steal the other guy's letter you know silly things like that right we're just having fun and uh you go past roadkill this is silly and this is just for the young people never heard anything this silly 
And you see, I say a dead possum in the road. By the way, we, we used to have Himalayan possum. Himalayan in the road, so we ate it. No, I'm kidding. That was just a joke I read the other day. Sorry. I've never eaten a possum. My dad did, but I haven't. And so you'd say, I see a dead possum in the road. I won it. Second one said, I two it, I three it. And you're racing because somebody's got to say, I ate it, right? And you don't want to get the number eight. That's silly, isn't it? Yeah, but you're a little. Our kids, we, this was our favorite joke. Knock, knock. Interrupting cow. Moo! <laughs> All right, so anyway, that was my favorite joke with them. You just move before they can get out. Interrupting cow, who? Uh, it's just fun. So you're traveling down the road. What a great time that you got a captive audience, especially if you collect all the electronics wrong to talk to them to help them. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, with having electronics, but I'm just saying what I'm just saying. It says, when you lie down at evening before bed. Again, I go back to my dad. And he always stayed up for the news and then slept through it because the news came on at 11. <laughs> he was up at 5 every morning. He didn't have to be to work late. and He, he could walk to work in five minutes. So I'm just telling you, this is my dad. But he grew up on a farm, so he's going to get up at 5 o'clock because it's 5 o'clock. And uh, so anyway, at 11.30, he'd go, because especially I knew what he had been doing all this time when I got older, and I'd stay up and watch TV, Johnny Carson, or doing homework or something. And my dad would go in their bedroom at 11.30 and kneel by that bed and pray before he got into bed. He got up at 5 o'clock so he could read his Bible. He read through the Bible, frontwards and backwards. He'd read I don't know how many chapters a day he'd read, but he'd start in Genesis to go to Revelation, got to Revelation to around, go back the other way. He did that multiple, multiple, multiple times. And remember, he had sixth grade education. It was not easy for him to read. But he didn't use that as an excuse. Saturday night, we had a... My parents moved into this house. Let's say married in 49. So around 52, 1952, the, her sister sold him a lot of land next to her. And then they had a lot of land between them. That was the lawn, we called it. And that's where a lot of family gatherings. And, and so, and, and they bought that, they built that house in 52. And around uh, 64, 3 or 4, they needed more room because I'm five years old by then. So they added on a living room, another living room, bathroom, and bedroom. And that cost as much as the big thing, right? But as they were doing that, between the kitchen and the dining room, they, they, they were pioneers. They cut out the wall and took away the, the, the swinging door between the kitchen and the dining room. And so we had this thing, and we called it the shelf, because it was a shelf. Thank you. Good. Y'all are with me. And on Saturday night, Dad's Bible, Mom's Bible, Ruth Ellen's Bible, Stuart's Bible. With our Sunday school books under them and our offering envelopes on top. And for, again, for you young people, we had to check off, read my Bible daily, invited someone to church, you know, did all these things. We had to, let, we had to check that off in that envelope. We kept records about everything. While we were lying down on Saturday night, we'd see that reminder in the morning because we prepared. Did you polish your shoes on, Friday, on Saturday night? Had to get out the shoe kit and polish your Sunday shoes. The clothes are laid out. They just prepared us for worship the next day in the way that we did it then. And then he says in the scripture, and when you rise up first thing in the morning. I told you my dad went to bed at 11.30 praying. He got up at 5 o'clock praying. And I learned that when I got older and became a paper boy. And he was up when I got up. And he would fix me something to eat before I went out. And he'd be sitting in there reading his Bible as I left to go to work. You got to teach your kids. And it's got to be real. 
because it's real in you. Now, I just described all that. My parents didn't go, now watch what we're doing. They just did it because that's who they were because God was real to them. And as I saw them expressing their belief in who God is in their life, they were teaching me without saying a word. Now, they said plenty of words. Now, I left off a lot there, but they, they, they taught me as well. And then your modeling must be real. And I've been talking about that a little bit too. Let me ask you this. How do your kids see church because of you? Some, like I said, I grew up around a lot of cousins. And a lot of us went to the same church. And I heard their parents criticizing the pastor. A lot. I never heard my mom or my dad criticize the pastor. Never. Ever, never. What do your kids think of church because of you? Do you want to be a church member like you are? So our modeling must be real. And, and this is the point that's in your paper at the top. You've got to model Christianity to your kids. And again, I've just been talking about that. You have to be available to your kids. If your kids want to talk about spiritual things, you better be available. And you, you can lead into that. You can ask them questions. I've got, a very, I've got two very non-communicative children. Okay, and that means they don't want to talk to me. They don't want to talk to their mom. They don't want to talk to anybody. They just want to be left alone. That's just two of my kids are that way. And they're not unfriendly. I mean, they know how to be friendly, but just everything being equal don't bother me. So you better, you better t- start asking them some questions. And don't, take, don't ask them questions and go, yeah or no about, right? You got to be an encourager to them. You, you got to be on their team. We, you got to believe in them, and you got to encourage them in what they're, what they're doing, encourage them in their faith. And that may come across as, hey, have you been praying, have you been reading your Bible? Those, those might be, sound even harsh at times, but, but you got to be encouraging them. Like, hey, I've been, I was reading my Bible, and I thought about you, or I thought about this, and what do you think about this? I, I, I will ask my children what they think about certain passages and things, especially when they were little even. Pray with them and pray for them. Janice and I got married in uh, 1987. I had to think that through for a second. Our first daughter was born in 1989. You know when we started praying for our children? The day we got married. You know when we started praying for their mates? The day we got married. You know when we started praying for their grandchildren? The day they got, we got married. I said they, we got married. All those things, we started praying then. God, whatever children you give us, may they come to know you. God, whoever they married, may they have been raised in a Christian home and they know you and they'll be sold out for you. And God, when they have children, may they pass the faith on to their children. Pray with them so they hear you praying it. <laughs> when my middle child became a Christian, I don't remember how old she was, six to eight, somewhere in there. And so you want to call Granny and tell her my mom? And so, sure. And so we dial the phone. Hey, Granny, Cameron wants to tell you something. Karen gets on the phone. Oh, Granny, I asked Jesus into my heart. I'm going to get baptized. And, and my mother said, oh, that's wonderful. Now, all my grandchildren are saved. My sister had three, and they'd all been saved. And Ian was just a baby. So she, she was probably like around six. And Ian was around two or three. And my daughter, who is six to eight, says, well, Granny, we don't know about Ian yet. <laughs> pray with them and pray for them, Right? They got it. Why did they think that way? Because we were praying with them as well. 
that one day that God would be real to them. We would say that where they could hear. One day we pray that they, you know, as we call their name, will receive your, you into their life and they'll be sold out. Be authentic. If you mess up, man up. Be authentic. Don't tell them something you're not doing. And, then, and as my son told me later in life, Dad, be about it. Don't talk about it. I was talking about something, something I wanted to do or something. It wasn't even spiritual, but my son, he comes up with these good sayings every once in a while. I think it's kind of popular saying, but I hadn't heard it. And he said, Dad, be about it. Don't talk about it. Be authentic. Be about it before you talk about it. But also be authentic in that you mess up, confess it. Like, Dad lost his temper. Dad messed up. I've done that I don't know how many times. Teach with, not at or for. You don't, and I, I, I struggle with that because I'm not a good, like, I told you, didn't you get it? No, that's me. You know, that's how I think. But you got to sit down with them and, and help them lead through it. Now, my wife's really good at that because she's a teacher, right? We were first married. She goes, oh, I got to go in this teacher's store. So I'm, you know, trailing along with her. And she says, I'm looking for manipulatives. I said, say what? What is a manipulative? And she said, oh, you know, something they can hold, like, to count to ten. Or, so she's looking for things that can go one, two. And that's a manipulative because you can manipulate it. <laughs> oh, okay, learn a new word there. So she's really good at that. And she helped our children by living that out of teaching with them, helping them to learn how to do it. Not at them or for them. But here's the big thing. Let the word of God speak. Let it be central in your life. Let this be the number one thing. And to the best of our ability, I would hope that we tried to make them realize, mom and dad do this because God told us to do this. And this is what we do. We try to shield them from bad things that they're too old enough to understand. That, you know, just the natural nasties of the world. But at some point they got to understand that even in bad times, mom and dad live according to this. And the reason we made choices like this is because this is God's will. And we help them understand that. So what can you do this week? Hey, write out your family mission statement. Display it in your house. Share it with me, if you will. Somebody, last Sunday, a member of our church, they already had a mission statement written out. It is an awesome mission statement. And said, hey, here's ours. So would you send it to me? And they did. I, I, I'm not going to read it. I'd love to. But I don't want to. Uh, I'm sure they'd share it with you if, if if you want it, but so start asking everybody, are you the guy? Are you the person? And uh, that'll get you to meet people. Um, but display your family mission statement and share it with me if you, if you don't mind. It encourages me. And then commit at least three nights this week that as a family, you're going to sit down together and discuss their lives. And you just got to ask questions. I, I told you earlier in this series about my son when Cameron went off to college and he's a 10th grader in high school and he said, whenever we'd ask, how was your day? He'd always say, fine, and start eating because he knew his sisters would talk. And the, Cameron's off at college. He's in 10th grade. Comes home first day. How's your first day at school? Great. He looked up, and we're staring at him. He went, oh, no, I got to talk to him now. And so he started talking. Sit together sometime this week. Make it a goal. If you don't do it at least three times, maybe you're already doing it five, ten times a week. That's great. But just set a goal if you don't have one or increase it or make it more meaningful or make advantage of the time. Encourage, pray, and teach your family this week. Encourage your family. Pray with your family. Teach your family. This week, teach your kids. You say, I don't know how. I don't know what to do. I'm telling you, if you're living it out, you're already teaching them. They are watching you 
Acts 1.8 does not say you will be a good witness. It just says you will be a witness. So if you give a bad witness, you're still a witness. If you give a good witness, you're still a witness. Say, I'm not a good teacher. It's okay. Teach them. But live that life first because that's where they're really learning. A lot of things I can say about my dad. I don't remember my dad ever sitting down and talking to me in, in a way. Now, son, you need to know this. <laughs> I, I, I would give you one example of that, but, but I can't. But you've heard me say, sitting on the bathroom counter, watching him shave and just telling me stuff. Like, you're right. There's only two things you got to do. Die and live till you do die. I told you that one. He, he's the one that told me out of Ecclesiastes. He said, you know, it's better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of someone's birth. Because at the house of mourning, someone's gone to heaven. But at, at birth, they've got a hard life to live in front of them. Like, wow. You know, my dad would talk to me like that. No wonder I'm the way I am, you know. So encourage them. Pray for them. Teach them. Talk to them. But talk to them out of the overflow of your life. Don't say, what, do I got to, what, what am I going to say? Just try to get them talking about what they like and turn that conversation if you need to. And there are some hints in here about sharing your faith with your children and hope you take them. Use those verses in the back to start discussions. What do you think? What does it mean to be a family where we are? I, I appreciate that, that you're coming back and, and, uh, and, and doing all this together with me. And I just pray that God will bless us in your life and in your family's life.